I want you to open your Bible this morning to Hebrews chapter 10 to begin with. Then we'll go to 1 John 5. Then we'll go to James 5. I want to look at three passages of Scripture as I get to my text. Those are just preliminaries. Reading Scripture this week, I came across a familiar passage of Scripture we'll get to later. And as I read it and thought about it and meditated on it, I thought about if somebody was going to pray for me, because we do this all the time, everybody gets prayed for. Everybody is told to pray for somebody else. Prayer is the most common thing in a church. Church is about prayer. Jesus said, His house shall be called a house of prayer. And prayer is an immense subject. A lot is said about it. A lot of books are written on prayer. A lot of opinions and ideas about prayer. Generally, people think that, you know, if you have a need from God or the crisis or a difficulty, you just pray. You just need to pray. And yet, we also know that not all prayers are heard. That some prayers are futile, that God didn't hear them. That there are reasons that prayers don't work. Just praying doesn't mean it works because you pray. So many people have prayed to God for something. It did not work. They did not get it. And then they develop a doctrine that says, well, he could, but he may not want to. So you should always pray if it be thy will. So you're praying for things you're not really sure of. You're asking for things you don't know if it's really going to work because God is presented as somebody who may not want to. Even though he's promised in his word to do something, people have been taught that, well, he may not do that because he may change his mind. But you're supposed to pray anyway. If you pray long enough and strong enough, maybe you'll get the ear of God and he'll hear you. Just, just labor in prayer and just keep on and keep on and keep on and maybe it'll work. Maybe it'll work. And that's not what the Bible teaches us about prayer. That's the way a lot of people believe. But that's what's being taught to a lot of people also. That prayer is an iffy thing, if God wants to. Prayer is a hoping type thing. Well, I hope this works. Well, if you tried everything else, try prayer. And something's wrong with all of that. Because at no point... In the Bible, are we taught that God is insensitive to our needs, but that God is sensitive to our hearts? He knows what you have need of before you ask. But if you're going to ask, there are certain conditions that God holds us to before you ask that will determine whether or not you even get heard. So I came up with this title reading that other place we'll get to later. I came up with the title, Pray This Prayer for Us. I originally said, Pray This Prayer for Me. I'm referring to a specific prayer in the Bible that somebody prayed. Jesus prayed. And I'm thinking, now that's who I would want to pray for me, and that's what I would want him to pray for, for me. To pray that prayer for me. And I would assume, because I put us on the end of the title, that when we get there, you would want the same prayer prayed for you. Because there are prayers that always get heard. There are prayers that don't get heard. And so we want to look at those things because prayer in Hebrews 10 is a request. It's a petition. It's you asking somebody who you believe is able to do what you want done to do it for you. It's a petition. I think we turn to God because the Bible depicts God as all-powerful, all-knowing, capable, able. Nothing is too difficult for thee. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all things that you ask for. Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. Well, if he didn't do what he asked you to do, then that would be a fruitful verse of Scripture. But prayer is an asking of God to do something for you or for somebody else or to bring something into your life or to remove something from your life. Prayer is when we approach God 
to do something that doesn't seem there's any other way to get results. A terminal illness. When the best of the medical world says we can't do anything about this. Some people then turn to God because perhaps only God can fix the impossible. And He can. But there's more to it than just waiting until everything else fails and putting God at the end of the list as to who you trust in or who you turn to. But Hebrews chapter 10 tells us how we approach God. In other words, if we're going to come to the Lord for an answer to a prayer, here's what he says in Hebrews 10 verse 22. Hebrews 10 and verse 22. Let us draw near, now notice this, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Well, obviously the language there is not referring to a shower or a bath, but it's spiritual language having to do with the spiritually clean life outside the body and inside in the heart. So what is it? Psalm 24, verse 3 says, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in His holy place? Who will be able to draw near unto God? And he answers it by saying, He that has clean hands, that's the outside, and a pure heart. Now that's just one verse in the Bible that is largely admired for its beauty and it's printed on little things and hanging on the wall. But what it says, God holds Himself to that requirement for us. He holds you to it, and that, as a righteous God, is what He requires. Clean hands, that's your activities and what you're doing, and clean hands and a pure heart. No hypocrisy, genuine clean heart. This is who God said will ascend to the hill of the Lord. This is who will come before the Lord to obtain mercy in time of need. Because there will be times in your life you have a need. And God says when that comes, before it ever gets there, realize this, that those who come before me will meet certain criterion, and then I will accept them. In this same verse here, he said, let us draw near with a true heart. One translation, there are many different translations of the Scriptures, not necessarily good, but one of them says it like this, Let us come near with pure hearts and a confidence that comes from having faith. If that is a right translation, and it may be, then God requires us to come before Him with faith. In other words, you're coming before Him knowing that before you even get there, He's already said yes. That what you're going to ask Him for, He's already given you a yes for it. Now, I don't know how many people understand that or believe that or even do that. But it's you approach God, not with uncertainty, but with certainty. Full assurance of faith. And you know about faith. Faith is accepting as true what God says in His Word. Not just acknowledging that it's there in the Bible. Most people call that faith. They, I see that. I believe that. A lot of people acknowledge that what is written in the Bible is true, and we should. That doesn't mean you believe that. If you believe that, that's what you'll trust in. But he said that we draw near with a heart full of assurance. I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that what I'm coming to him for, he will do it. What Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four, what things soever you desire. And that's why we pray. What things soever you desire, when you pray, he said, believe that you have received that, and you will have that. I'm coming to the Lord with a formal petition. From a heart that is convinced that what I'm going to say is done, it's done for me. I receive it as done in my heart. I accept this is true. I'm asking God, I want Him to know that when I put Him in remembrance, as Isaiah said, I am telling God what He has told me. He said, I am the Lord that heals you. 
or I will supply all of your needs. I know that before I pray. I'm not praying some hopeless prayer. Oh, God, please do something in some way, somehow. I'm coming before him with his word in my heart, motivating what I'm about to say. In the name of Jesus, do for me what you have said. And I tell him what it is. Now, a lot of people also think that faith is just speaking to God, the Bible, quoting the Bible to God. Folks, I have known in many years of my life, I've known a lot of people that quote the Bible and assume that if I can quote it, then it's faith. And I've come to the conclusion, I don't care what people think. What a man wants to believe... What he really wants to know that is going and what he can believe are sometimes two different things. There may be a lot of things in a man's life running around inside there that's not getting dealt with. There may be some things that are a hindrance to you. Sometimes there isn't. It's, the door is open and clean, and you know when you come before God, there's no question. I know. I know. I haven't always known it like with other people. I know what I believe. I know what my limitations are. I know where my boundaries are. And even in the midst of a battle, I know if I can or not. I know if I can. I'm not going to act like I can if I can't. Because I'm only deceiving myself in a case like that. But when it's faith, you're convinced that it's done. Period. That's when you stand your ground and refuse to move. And you hold fast. And that's where I want to be with all of us. But when it comes to prayer, that's how we approach God. I'm coming to the Lord with the absolute assurance in my heart that if he said it, he'll do it. And I receive it as done. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. That's why I go about with a smile on my face, appraising the Lord for something I can't see. I'm giving thanks to God for a victory that hasn't even happened yet. For the victory in a battle that is still raging, and I'm praising God. Like old Jehoshaphat did, praising God. My enemy's still coming. The pain's still there. The problem's still there. The money isn't there. I'm praising God. What am I praising God for? I believe I have received. And I believe that God will honor his word and bring that to pass. And therefore, in anticipation of it, expectation of it, I'm praising the Lord. Without fear. Oh, fear knocks on your door. You just don't have to let it in. But these are the kind of things that we start out with in prayer. If you're going to ask God for something, here's the way he said to come. Let us come near with a true heart full of assurance. I mean, even the next verse, 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Hold on to it. God is faithful. Now, concerning prayer, secondly, at 1 John 5, remember I told you to turn there, 1 John 5 and verse 14 and 15, that's just a few pages to the right of where you were. And he said these words, And this is the confidence that we have in Him. I think all of you know what confidence is, don't you? Confidence is inward certainty. I am sure. I am sure. There's no problem. I am sure. That's confidence. I know I can. Can you climb that hill? I am sure I can. Can you swim across? I'm sure I can. Can you build that? I'm sure I can. Can you fly an airplane perfectly? Ooh. I could get it off the ground. Landing might be a little tricky. I could get it off the ground. I know enough to do that, I think. If I was with a real pilot, he might think, you don't know anything. But confidence. Confidence. And this is the confidence, verse 14, that we have in Him. Who is Him? God. This is the confidence that I have. This is the surety, the absolute certainty that I personally have in Him. Now let's see what he said. That if we ask anything according to His will, what does it say? He hears us. Is that what you want? What does it mean? If God hears me, if I'm praying something that is in harmony with His will, something revealed. Scripture is His will. Wouldn't you say that? 
or some, if it's not specifically spelled out in Scripture, then God showed me, I want you to go knock on the door, drive over here and do that. Well, I don't have a Scripture that says knock on doors and drive over here. But in my relationship to God, I have the principle of faith and the principle of a relationship where God gives instructions for us to do things in our life like that. So I have a basis for my faith. I know God will do this. And if I ask him to do anything that is according to his will, I still ask. He hears me. Now, verse 15 says, And if we know that he hear us, whatever we ask, what do you know? Then we know that we have the petitions that we have desired of him. Back to where I started. We came to Him because He is a need-meeting God. He meets needs. He does miracles. He does wonderful things. He is able to do exceeding abundantly. I come to Him because I'm convinced of that. Not only convinced that He could and He's able, but that for me, He's willing. He said this to me, and I believe He'll do this. And so I begin to walk in this way. I'm trusting God for results. And he said, if I know that when I pray, he hears me, then I can know this. I can turn around and face you with the assurance that because he has heard me, he will also do it. I have it. It's done. While everybody else is staring at you, while everybody else is, I don't know about that kind of stuff, you can smile and say, well, the difference between me and you in this particular situation is that God spoke to me and not you about this, and therefore I am convinced. You may not be, but I am, and that's what counts, because I'm the one that's going to receive. And if God said it, He'll do it. Concerning prayer, this is the confidence that we have in Him. Again, didn't He tell us in Mark eleven twenty four, what things ever you ask for when you pray, believe you receive them, and you'll get them? Or Matthew 21, all things, whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. That's what he said. He's been saying it for centuries. This is the message to a church that has largely ignored it. What things soever do you believe he heard you? If the prayer that was prayed for you was a prayer that God heard, isn't that the prayer you want prayed for you? Oh, you pray for me. You pray for me because if God hears you when you pray, then that's what I want. Go back to the left now to James chapter 5. Just a few pages to the left there. James chapter 5, an old familiar country here, verse 15. And the prayer of faith, specifically not just praying, but the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Heal, save, deliver. Make well, cure the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, does your Bible say that? Then it says in the next verse, back to a theme that we've entered this year with about relationships, knowing each other, being accountable to each other, being our brother's keeper. Adding that idea to this message, and it'll come out again in a minute later. He said, confess your faults one to another. Now, the word for faults would be your mistakes, your shortcomings, your wrongdoings, your error, your lapses. He said, confess your faults one to another. Perhaps... Perhaps that is one of the things that will hinder us in our approach to God. It's not the fact you don't understand the word or you can't quote it. You can do all of that. But it's maybe this verse. This is included with the prayer of faith. shall save the sick. Confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. Then back to prayer. The energized prayer, the word energeo, we get our word energy from effectual fervent, comes from that word energize. The energized prayer, 
of a righteous man has much power, availeth much. I looked up the word availeth just to see uh, if there's anything there that we could use today that would make availeth much mean a little bit more. And I saw the use of the word as a I can do. Remember, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Availeth is a I can do. The prayer that is designed according to the word based on a relationship to God brought forth from a clean heart is an I can do prayer. This will work. This is how we should pray. This is who we want to pray for us. If you're going to pray for me, know this. Know this in your heart. If you're going to pray for these folks, be able to know when you pray that it works. That there are no obstacles, no restrictions, nothing clouding the relationship between you and the Lord. Clean hands, a pure heart. You're coming before God with a serious need or with just a need or a desire. With clean hands and a pure heart. And he said, that kind of prayer availeth much. Now, our title is Pray This Prayer for Us. Well, that's the kind of prayer that I want prayed for me. And if we are going to pray one for another, then two things need to be understood from James 5 and verse 16. One, we need to have a heart that is right with God and a life that is right with God and ways that are right. Righteous man, if we're going to have a prayer line with the Lord, and be able to be used of God in praying for people that works, then you have to have a life that is right with God. Anybody can pray. Anybody can mouth a prayer. Anybody, anybody who wants to learn can say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be. Anybody can do that. That doesn't mean it works. Most people don't believe half of what that means. But they learn how to say that. Or the Catholic prayer, Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts which we are about to receive from thy bounty through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You can do that. And a lot of other learned prayers that we all pray now, lay me down and say, pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I said that before, we can pray the Lord my soul to take. You know, when you're a little kid, I said that fast, but you know what I'm saying. It's not praying. It's not just, let's pray, let's pray. It's not going to a prayer meeting to listen to people pray. But it's letting God use you to bring to Him needs of other people that you are convinced that He's going to meet. And if you're not convinced, I think then prayer then is a time of being still before the Lord. A prayer meeting is fine. Sometimes... Some of the most intense moments in prayer, not so much mouthing words as it is just being still before the Lord and wrestling with issues and searching and going from this to that and see if there's anything here that I need to deal with. Is there anything here that's out of order? Is there any reason why God wouldn't? You know, he said, he said, he said, and you're thinking and you're thinking and you're thinking and... You want your life to be right. You want your words to be right. You want your motives to be right. Because the Bible says a man who is right with the Lord wants to do what is right, and his prayer is energized by that. I want this to please God and be in harmony with His will. And the Bible said the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man is an I can do prayer. It works. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now this is the kind of prayer I think that all of us would want prayed for us. Somebody whose life is clean. The man who can ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place. The person who knows what the secret place of the Most High is and enjoys the benefits of that. No evil shall befall you. No plague come nigh your dwelling. No, you know, he gives his angels charge concerning you. You won't even dash your foot against a stone. And ends it with saying with long life. He'll satisfy you. Wouldn't anybody want that? 
that comes from something that transpires in the holy place. Psalm 91, verse 1. There's something about a man's life as it is connected with God truly and honestly that gives him that place of asking and receiving that not everybody has. But all of us that are Christians could have. I want somebody to pray for me that God listens to. I want the person who prays for me to be the person that God's... All right, okay. Because if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, what did it say? Then we know that we have what we asked for. Doesn't it say that? We have what we asked for. You may not see it. How can that be? If I have it and I can't see it, how do I have it? It's by faith, isn't it? Isn't faith still the evidence of things not seen? Do we not have to believe our names are written in the Lamb's book of life? Do I not have to go back to 40-some years ago in my life and believe that what happened on that day and is still going on now is the work of God? I have to believe this. Because with enough just sheer effort, you can last a long time in this walk. A lot of people have. But there's something about that honest, clean, right heart that God leans forward, it seems, to lend his ear to your request. Some of us know there are things we can't ask for. Or you can mouth the words, but your heart... Faith is always a matter of the heart. How many of you believe there are things that you could ask for, but it isn't going to work? Because there might be something wrong somewhere, and while you're asking the right prayer, things are wrong. Sometimes your heart witnesses to that, and you know while you're mouthing the right words, your heart is saying it won't work. I prayed many times for people that I should have given them a speech. Many times in my life, I know that I have prayed for people for something that I knew as I prayed it would not work. There have been many times I have prayed for something I knew would work. Now, what's the difference? Is there not the work of the Holy Spirit when it comes to prayer that sometimes is a restraining or a releasing influence? Sometimes you know, sometimes I know it's the right word. I know what the Bible says about this, but Something's not right. You ever been there? Something's not right. Something is not right. But it's not a problem with you knowing the Bible. It's just something needs to be done. But the prayer I want prayed for me is the prayer when all the channels are open. And that prayer is pushed forth out of a faithful heart that says, I believe that you have heard me, and whoever I'm praying for is now benefiting from my prayer. Call the elders of the church, and they will pray the, uh, uh, the prayer of, uh, is it still in their faith? And the power that is in the prayer of faith will heal the sick. Now, let's turn to our text, Luke 22. The prayer that I want prayed for me is found in Luke chapter 22. You've been here many times in your life, in your studies, and you know this verse and this passage of Scripture well. Verse 31, And the Lord said, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as sweet. This is the prayer that I want prayed for me. This is what I request and desire. But Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith fail you not. Isn't that good? Would you want that prayer prayed for you? Well, the only thing required for that to be so is that you got to have faith. Let me read this again. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail thee not. It can't fail if you don't have it. He said, I prayed for you that your faith fail you not. You know what? It won't fail. You don't know that at the time because it looks like it is. 
It doesn't look like it might work here. But Jesus said, I have prayed for you that it will not fail. Pray that prayer for me. Pray that prayer for me. Let me save the other comments for that until I get back to it and point out in Luke chapter 22 here at least four things, four aspects of every Christian's life that would involve you needing this prayer. Four things in your life that you will experience, you should experience. Four things here that has to do with your Christian's life. First of all, is trouble and tribulation. Jesus said himself in John 16, the last verse of John 16, he said, In this world you will have tribulation. Now, because he's the one you approach, and he's the one that your prayer in his name will be directed to God through, he said, Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now, somebody sitting up there in heavenly places today has already been where you are. Somebody in the Godhead knows what a human experience is like. For he took upon himself the form of human flesh. And he lived down here, and you know the rest of the story, and what he did as God's lamb, which took away the sins of the world. That's what Jesus was, the lamb of God. And he is spoken of as a great high priest. Like in Hebrews 3, 4, and 7, the Bible speaks of the high priest in the Old Testament were men who lived and died and men who were weak and couldn't always function and little things could stop them, a cold, a sickness, an injury. But our high priest is eternal. He ever lives, in Hebrews seven twenty five. he ever lives to make intercession for us. I want him to pray for me. I want God to be able to look at me and say, my son is praying for you. The Bible still says we have an advocate with the Father. He's always there on our behalf before the Lord. There's also the accuser of the brethren over there who comes to accuse you and point out your shortcomings so that he can gain a right to your life. To bring trouble and anguish and woe and grief and sorrow and dismal experiences and ruin your hopes and your dreams and bring despair and, oh, he wants to do everything he can to reduce you down to nothing more than a Sunday morning spectator. All your dreams have been dashed. You've lost your battles. Nothing has worked for you. You've heard all these glowing reports of what happened to everybody else never happens to us. I've heard all these stories about the power of God. I've never seen it. And the devil says, you ain't going to see it either because all that stuff is passed away. It doesn't work. That's just preacher talk. It's just preacher talk. Look at all the people it didn't work for. It's just preacher talk. You know what happens? And you listen to other people. Or maybe worse, you listen to a bunch of that radio stuff. And they talk you out of your faith. This has passed away and that's not for today. Anybody that talks like that's deceiving you. You realize what happens to all those people? All they can do is sit in a church and complain about nothing going on. And yet somebody comes up with some new miracle service. Something wild and exciting. Eyes get bugged out and people by the masses, thousands come to hear something and a movement, woo, they get like, boy, something's going on here. And they realize when it's, that movement dies, they always die. They die. And once it's dead and gone and you're back to that church, now you're worse off than you were. It's hard to teach. It's hard to preach. It's hard to make people to understand. People can get dull of hearing and get dull of this. That's the work of the devil. To bring you into a valley of sorrow and despair. To make you think that you are incapable of believing some of these things. 
that you are not able to receive all these wonderful blessings that the Bible speaks of from one cover to the other. You're not there. You never will be. You're a nobody. You're not able. You're not strong enough. You haven't been a Christian long enough. Or you've made too many mistakes in your life and you've just messed up way too much. I think that's the mission of the devil. To get in your earpiece and then to hammer on your headpiece until your brain goes into remission. Nothing works anymore. It comes in one ear and goes out the other after 30 years. Maybe 40 or maybe 50, maybe 10 for some. I don't know. Nothing is grabbed at anymore. Nothing is received with, yes. And it's like, well, I don't know. I, I hope all that stuff works. Look at that again. Satan has desired you. Satan has desired you. Would he desire anybody in this audience today? Is there anybody in this room that is Satan-proof? People have been. People have been Satan-proof in their life. There have been people in time and in history, and I'm sure today, who are Satan-proof, devil-proof, that the devil can't get them. Put your finger, leave it right where you are, and turn in the middle of your Bible a little bit to the left. Right before the Psalms is a little book of Job. Turn over to Job. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Let's see if there is such a thing as somebody being devil proof. Job, Satan has desired you. You know what the word desire means? It means to claim back. To claim back. Satan wants to claim you back. You've escaped his snare. You were brought over to the Lord to be saved and all of that. And he wants to claim you back to require you to be delivered up to him. Be given back to him. What if I told you today that all of us, nobody is accepted, that all of us here were ruled by the devil at some point in your past? We were called children of disobedience. We were by nature the children of wrath in Ephesians 2. That's what we were naturally. Evil, wrong, wicked. Jesus said to his disciples, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children. We all had that kind of nature. All of us did. Some of us different degrees. You go out and get drunk and party around, fool around and do this and horse around and other things around. Yeah, I feel bad. Man, I shouldn't have done I know I shouldn't have done that. Somebody said, I ain't, I'm just going to get drunk and go and stay home. Uh, somebody else says, oh, I, I got to go to church this morning. It's just different degrees of how people feel about their sin. But in all of these cases, you can't do anything but sin. You can't stop cussing. You can't stop drinking. You can't stop running around and thinking bad thoughts and having immoral lust and activity. You can't stop. You're hooked. The devil owns you. He's mastered your life. You can't stop. You can't turn off the stuff you're watching and not watch it. The desire to be wicked is stronger than the desire to be right. But you can't be right. You can't make yourself right. You cannot make yourself good enough to God that He will accept you. You cannot do that. All we like sheep have gone astray. There is none righteous, not even one, the Bible says. We can try. We may go to church and maybe be a preacher. But you can't make yourself right. You can't make yourself forgiven from the wrongs you have done because the devil is your master. He rules you. He'll let you feel bad about your sins and go to church and, oh, God, what do I do? He'll let you do that, but He masters you. He owns you. He lets you think you're all right. I'm all right. I'm not, you know, I just took a little shot of whatever stuff people take today. There's so many different drugs today. My generation was the last one that didn't. As far as I know. 
Because then after that, in the 60s, the door was open to more filth. It's invaded the highest levels of government. The people that burn our campuses down in the 60s, our grandfathers and senators and presidents, it's ingrained in their thinking. You cannot but think that way. You can feel bad. You can have certain amounts of moral goodness in your life, but you cannot stop being what you are by nature. Only God can change you. Only God can change your nature. Only God can change this thing on the inside called your heart. Until you get a new heart and a new spirit from God, you will always be the person you are trying very hard to be better and cannot. But when God gives you a new heart and a new spirit, you're aware that something wholesome and right has happened. There's hope. But you got a problem. You got a problem at your mind. Your brain, when God saved you and gave you a new heart, He didn't give you a new brain, did He? He did not give you a new brain. He gave you a new heart. Your brain's your problem. It was trained by the master of death. He showed you all the wrong things in life and all the wicked things you ever did are still there in your mind. It's still right here. And the war that goes on personally with you the rest of your life is between what God has done and what the devil doesn't want you to do. But if you are willing to do it, then this thing will die. And then you can let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. We can't think like Him, can we? Why not? Be not fashioned according to this world. Didn't Paul say that in Romans? But be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. How do you do that? Weekly, daily, cleansing, washing, recognition, dealing with persecution, suffering, crucifixion. It's the deeper life, we call it. I don't know a handful as I look back through history. I don't know a handful that stayed with it. Many, many, many started and they thought, we're going to go this. Then they're not around today. It's too hard. Because the devil keeps popping on your headpiece. Oh, your mind, excuse me. He keeps barraging your headpiece. When somebody has captured you away from him, he doesn't stop coming against you. Jesus didn't say, now the devil won't tempt you anymore because now you're a Christian. Everything works. Woo! Thank you. But he keeps coming. He keeps coming. He keeps knocking on that door. And every time you resist him and you deal with him and you say no, he loses more and more this grip on your thinking. For as a man thinketh, so is he. So we were by nature ugly and bad people. Couldn't do anything about it. That's the way the devil works. Then there are those people whose hearts, I'm assuming their hearts, their lifestyle, their motives is so much of what God wants that the devil can't touch them. Are you in Job 1 yet? I gave you a long time to find it. Job chapter 1, verse 9, after God calls the devil's attention to the goodness and righteousness of Job, the devil responds with this in verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Is there not a good reason why he fears you? Verse 10, here's what the devil said. Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. I want that. Now, you may not, but I want that. And if you don't want your part, Brother Tom, be glad to have yours, okay? If he can do that. God said, what about Job? He said, well, 
Job ought to be whatever he is. Look what you've done. You've got this hedge about him. How did the devil know there was a hedge about him? Because he couldn't get to him. He goes about like a, uh, yeah, that, that verse, First Peter 5. He goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom? The devil cannot just devour anybody he wants to. If he could, we would all be gone. Your scripture says concerning this hedge thing, the devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom? Whom? Obviously some he cannot. Would you agree? He runs into some situations. He can't do nothing about it. Some people's lives you look at, they're blessed. They're diligent. They're spiritual. They're concerned. Honest. Upright. I mean, their heart belongs to God and their life glorifies God. The devil can't touch them. The devil can't touch them. There's even a verse in 1 John 5. He says, And he that is born of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. What about that? Keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. That's what he does. Now, God allowed the devil to mess with Job. There was a bigger story here, a bigger picture. And as the devil had a right to attack Job, he couldn't attack his body. But look in verses 13 through 19, this is what the devil does. And there was a day, does your Bible say, and there was a day? Let me tell you something. Satan goes before God and gets permission. God allows him. He said, all right, you can touch what he has, but you can't touch his body. Now, he doesn't immediately come out, bam, Job is lost. The Bible said there came a day. In his clever designs and arrangements and how he prepares his assault to do the most damage in a man's life. He said, and there was a day. Verse 13, when his sons and his daughters came eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house. He said, the oxen were plowing, the donkeys were feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took away all that they have. Would being spoiled in an attack, warfare, or terrorism be the work of the devil? you got to say Yes. And verse 16, And while I was yet speaking, another one came and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and it burned up the sheep and the servant. Who calls that? Better say the devil. God's not your problem here. The, de- the devil's a problem. He's the one that did the killing and the destroying. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. It's a perfect picture here. In verse 18, While he was yet talking, he said, Your sons and your daughters were drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. There came a great wind from the wilderness that smote the four corners of the house, and it fell, and they all died. And I'm alone and left. And one day a man lost everything he had, lost his property, lost his animals, lost his family. This is the work of the devil. This is who you're dealing with. In fact, in chapter 2, when the devil came back at him again, his wife said in verse 9 that you ought to curse God and die. Dost thou still retain your integrity, curse God, and die? You know why? Because the devil touched his body. The devil said, well, if you touch his body, he'll give up all this holy stuff. So he did. The Bible said Job held fast his integrity. It didn't change his heart. Trouble he had didn't change his heart. He knew who he was dealing with. Didn't know what to do. It's the first book ever written in the Bible, as far as I know. First of all the books in the Bible, Job. Nothing was before it. So here's a man who is encountering what we all encounter, trouble and tribulation, because we're all going to face that. And the devil comes to kill and to steal and destroy and to talk you out of everything you've heard or to make you convinced that what you've heard won't work for you. And wonder why it doesn't work and spend the rest of your life either being critical of what you heard or wondering about what you heard. 
Somebody told me on Facebook there was some people used to be in Faith Assembly up in Indiana who were criticizing Hobart Freeman for what he taught and that they were taught wrong. And it was, I guess, the poor victims, it was his fault that they were taught the faith. Yet I was taught the same thing. So were you. There's always people, instead of doing anything about their life, they just want to blame somebody for the way they are, but they're willing to stay the way they are. That means your brain's in backwards. You're not thinking right. That's kind of ignorant. The devil has desired you so that he can sift you like wheat. Now, as I understand in studying the word sift, the word sift, it's a sieve. And the purpose of this thing was to agitate, which is what this word means, to agitate the grain, to break that cover off of that wheat shell, the wheat seed. What do you call wheat seeds? Bonnie grounds them up all the time. Berries. And this wheat seed won't work if it's still got that covering about it. They call it chaff. That's a protective covering. And to get that thing off when it's mature and it becomes hardened, this chaff loses its grip. It no longer can hold itself fast to you if it's agitated. That's a good picture of trials in your life, how necessary they are for you to become what you want to be. These things are thrown in the air, whatever. If I'm doing this wrong, just understand because I'm totally ignorant about how you do this. But I see this big thing, you jump it and throw it up in the air, and you flop the seat. And as you do, somebody with a winnowing fan, and I might have it wrong, but allow me. Somebody got this fan while you're doing it, they wave this fan, and the air blows the shaft off the wheat until all you've got left eventually, hopefully, is just wheat that is usable. It is acceptable. It is usable. It has value. But you got to get this shell off the wheat. And this picture of throwing it up and agitating it, whatever they do to wheat, to bang it around on something, to make it loosen that covering about it, that's what this word sift means. And what it does is just separate the wheat from the chaff. I guess that's what that covering is called, so that the wheat can be made into flour. So you can make bread. That's what God does with us. But that's what the devil does. That's how this thing works with trials and tribulations. The devil comes to tempt you. God will prove you. It was God, the Bible says, the Spirit of God who led Jesus to the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days. Led him out there. Jesus didn't say, no, 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 I don't want no, 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 I don't want to go out there. It's necessary to prove who you are and that you show that you are who you are by what you stand on. He went out there. 40 days and 40 nights is pretty rough. Bible said at the end of it, angels came and ministered to him. You ever had that happen to you yet? Because it was a sifting taking place. The devil says, you're going to let go here in just a minute. Some people are being banged around pretty hard. They won't give up. They hold their ground. I know in whom I have believed that I am persuaded. And so in this way, God proves us. And we either disqualify ourselves we either disqualify ourselves by walking away and making excuses to why this life isn't for me. Or you will hold fast and believe that no temptation has taken you, but such as is common to all of us. And that God, who is faithful, will not allow you to be sifted, tested, agitated, banged around and beat on beyond what you are able to handle so that we are without excuse if we quit. We are without excuse because the sifting is taking place. Turn to Matthew 13 and we'll begin closing. Matthew 13. In Matthew 13, we get this picture of the sower and the seed. And notice with regard to this testing trials, agitation, sifting and banging and loosening us from the 
things that keep us from being useful to God. Matthew 13 is a sower in the seed, and he started out, Jesus did, by describing in verse 4, he said, A sower went forth to sow, and there's a wayside, the stony places, the thorns, and then the good ground. There's four different kinds of soil that the seed was sown on. I'm interested in the stony soil because when he explains what that meant in the stony soil in verse 20 and 21, he said, but he that received seed into stony places, God forbid that was you or me. But he said, he that received seed, loved it. Hey, whoever this guy was, he liked stones. He liked stony soil. He liked the atmosphere of stones. He was a supporter of the Stony Bunch. I don't know that he had to stay with stones, but apparently he wanted to be there. But And wherever he was, God made sure he heard the truth. Seed was sown in stony soil. And he said in verse 20, But he that receives seed in the stony places, the same as he that hears the word, and immediately with joy receives it. We all want that. A new Christian, a new convert, a new something. Praise God, tears of joy. I found life and Jesus has come in. Amen. I've seen it hundreds of times. Hundreds of people we're so glad about because now they're going to heaven. And yet sometimes in six months, you can't find them anymore. They couldn't, as I was talking about, they couldn't give up that old life because they never got saved. They couldn't give up the old life because they never were born again. Unless you think you can have a new nature and you're governed and motivated by the Lord, but you're hanging on to the old life. Or you'll be tempted and tested. It is a process, I'll admit to that. But you'll hate it and you won't go back to it. You know what? Even if you do, I have known the Bible does speak of backsliding. So I do know there's hope for anybody. In spite of me, there's hope for others. You're welcome. And I praise God for His goodness, His tolerance, and long-suffering to the likes of us. But He said, here's what happens. Verse 21, Yet, however, hath He not root in Himself? He's not grounded, not stable. Maybe he's got saved and went to a church that doesn't believe in teaching, doesn't put any emphasis on teaching. Like somebody said, quick to sprout, quick to stumble. He came up, did all the right things coming up, but he had nothing to stand on. He was not grounded. He was not rooted in the only thing the Bible says will hold you fast. And like Matthew 7, that's the Word of God. The Word, hearing the Word and doing it. That's what the root and foundation of your life is. That's what makes you stable, not likely to be moved off course. Is that Word you're standing on that somebody taught you and you see it, you've got it in your heart. He goes on to say, He endureth for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arises because of what? The Word. How could that be? How could that be? Why would you be persecuted or have tribulation because of the Word? Doesn't the Word tell us how to live? Isn't the Word of God the way God wants us to live? And isn't it a challenge if you've been living the other way for so long to suddenly start living a different way and all your friends start persecuting, they start talking about you, calling you names, rejecting you? <laughs> You don't know how to relate to Christians yet, and sometimes you don't know what you're doing. We said persecution arises because of the Word. He's heard something that he wants to do that's getting him persecuted. Are you with me? And the Bible said he couldn't handle that. He was more interested in being a Christian and maintaining his old ties and being accepted of everybody. It's still cool, but a Christian. And the Bible says, and by and by, what's the last part of that verse say? By and by, he is what? Offended. Does your Bible say that? Yeah. By and by, verse 21 says, he is offended. The word offended simply means to cause to stumble. To cause to stumble. Let me read something that an expert wrote, a theologian wrote. 
He said he has no real confidence in God, no true religion. Mere excitement and feeling is all that he ever had, and that is not sufficient to sustain him when the trial comes. I think of all the loud, boisterous, movement-oriented, excited church and all of that kind of stuff to keep people all fired up. And yet, when it comes to those dark hours of your night, none of this seems to work. It's what the Word says. That's the only thing that the Almighty watches over to perform. That's what has to be the basis for you coming to the hill of the Lord, clean hands of pure heart, knowing what you believe. If you don't have the Word in you, if you're not grounded in some degree in the Word, if you're not God-inside-minded to some degree, if you're not thinking spiritual thoughts in your life, what is God going to use in your life to put you over? People that never listen, never study, don't know anything about the Word, when you come before God and He says, put me in remembrance. Tell me why you're here. Why are you before the Lord today? Why would God answer your prayer? Why would He take you to heaven? If you died right now, where would you be in just a moment? Where would you be? Some things you need to know. you got to come before the Lord knowing, Lord, you have said in your word. Lord, you said. I'm here because you said. I gave my heart because you said. I don't know anything else to do, but I'm here. And I ask for your help. God will meet you. He'll meet you. But the problem with the stony soil, it doesn't have much depth of earth. It's only willing. Your roots are only allowed to go a little bit under the soil. And it can't grow. You just can't grow. You can get started because it's a good climate. Boy, it's warm and wow. And it hits some other rocks. It can't grow. And then here comes the devil. Here comes all the sun. Oh, it's just so hard. And it wilts and it dies. No fruit. Nothing happened except a moment at a meeting somewhere in my past. Jesus in Luke 22 said, Peter, the devil has desired you. He can sift you like wheat. You ain't going to like what's going on. None of us do, but it's part of the light. And then next week, Jesus said, but I have prayed for you. That's the prayer I want prayed for us. I want Jesus to bring my name and say, as he ever lives to make intercession for us, I want him to bring my name before the throne as one of his. Amen. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you thanks for loving us, for bringing us here, for feeding us, for showing us what we need to see, for saving us, for giving us your treasure, your word. You said that you honor this word even above your name. And you put great value on your name because your name tells us who you are. And you honor your word even above that. Father, we are people that stand and set before you today as a people of need. We confess that there is a deeper work that needs to take place in our lives, a work that needs to continue on for some, and a work that needs to intensify in others. We want to be able to know that we always are in your will, knowing what to do, having wisdom. We want to know that. We face so many things in this life, oh God, we don't know what to do. And yet you always know what to do. So we pray that you would illumine us, bless us, and equip us. Let grace flow into us. 
and keep us. I ask you to meet the needs of the neediest souls in our room this morning for healing or for miracles or whatever we need. I ask you to meet those needs. I ask you to bring it to pass those needs that are most necessary. And may this year, Lord, you take us literally as a, a parent by the hand and lead us through this year. We cannot fail if you do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. What you want from me Take my heart and form it Take my mind and transform it Take my will and conform it to yours, to yours, O oh Lord. Righteousness, righteousness, righteousness is what I long for. Righteousness is what I need. Righteousness, righteousness is what you want from me. Take my heart, take my heart and form it. Take my mind and transform it. Take my will and conform it to yours, to yours, O oh Lord. Faithfulness. Faithfulness, faithfulness is what I long for. Faithfulness is what I need. Faithfulness, faithfulness is what you want from me. Take my To yours, to yours, O 